Thank you very much. Charlie, yeah, there's opinions range as to what I'm dressed as this morning. And uh, thanks to those of you who've come in your national dress. And of course, the problem is, if you're English, you have the question, well, what is our national dress? And uh, so here are some of the options that uh, some of my friends and I brainstormed. So here are my options this morning. There was the, there was the beef eater look, which just was never going to happen. Uh, there was the, uh, the WG Grace cricketer, because we invented cricket but we do so badly in cricket that I thought we won't go there. The other option uh, was the classic English footy fan, uh, tattoos on the chest, and that wasn't gonna happen either. And then the next option was the Morris dancer. <laughs> now, apologies if you are a Morris dancer, but again, this was never gonna happen. And so in the end, we went for the, uh, the best of the uh, worst bunch, which was the George Banks look from Mary Poppins. And uh, that's what I'm trying to replicate here this morning. So there we go. Now I can take those off now that I've done that. Excellent. All right. Well, it's great to be together. Uh, thanks so much for coming. And, you know, one of the things I absolutely love about Bedford is just the diversity of the town in which we live. I mean, I love it. I love it, love it, love it. And uh, you, you may not be aware of this, but there are over 100 different nationalities represented across our town. 28.5% um, of our town is either a black or minority ethnic group in our town. Um, we've got some wards like Queen's Park that are 75% black or minority ethnic groups. Caldwell, the area in which our building is in, is 59% black or minority ethnic group. And I just love the fact that Bedford is a melting pot for the nations. And, uh, you know, increasingly, our heart as a church is that we reflect not only our town, but also reflect heaven in who we are as a church family. That we are a church family from many, many, many different nations and tribes and tongues. And that there's something about that that reflects the diversity of God himself. That God is the creator of every nation and every tribe and every tongue. And the reality is you cannot be a Christian and not have a heart for the nations, you cannot stay parochial as a Christian and just care about me and my little world. No, actually, God is the God of the nations. And if you're in Bedford, you get to reach the nations just by stepping out your front door every morning. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. And, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you so much. If you are from a different nation and you are part of our church family, thank you so much for who you are helping us become. Because I realize sometimes when you step into a, 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 a church environment where uh, there's a majority culture and you're coming from minority culture, sometimes that is a difficult thing. I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for who you're helping us become as a church family. We absolutely love that. So thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, we're in this series, as PJ said, uh, called The Treasure Principle. And the reality is one of the ways that we get to impact the nations of the world, either on our own doorstep or further afield as we go to other countries, is through radical generosity. Radical generosity is a language that is spoken in every culture of this world. And if we want to impact the nations, then getting hold of God's heart that we be a radically generous people is crucial if we want to make inroads with the gospel into every tribe and tongue. And let me just read you one account in the early church. This is in Acts chapter 11 of one of these moments where radical generosity began to bless another people group. This is in Acts 11 verse 27. It says, During this time, 
some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. One of the things that you notice very early on about the first church in the Bible is that they were a radically generous community to the point where descriptions of the church say that there were no needy persons among them, that they sold their homes and their properties to provide for those who were in need, that actually they cared for one another and that there was a a sense of awe in the church. I think one of the reasons that there was a sense of awe was because of this radical generosity that was going on that was totally countercultural. And this is one of those instances where the disciples in one church in Antioch get so moved by the needs of other believers in another place entirely that they, as they're able to, provide and send their gift to bless another nation. And this is one of the evidences of a truly apostolic church is that there is radical generosity, a generosity that is totally countercultural. And this is such a powerful demonstration. I remember going to uh, Bethel Church in California back in 2009, and I remember hearing a story in a conference. A guy came up and he began to tell his story. He was a uh, six foot four uh, former Hell's Angel biker. He was a massive, built like a brick, tattoos up and down his arms, down his neck. And he kind of got up to tell his story of what had happened in his life. And basically, this guy had come to this church six months previously, um, and he had uh, fourth-stage esophageal cancer. And he wasn't a Christian believer. Um, He was really in the kind of last throes of his life. And the doctors had said, basically, you need to put your affairs in order. You need to go and see your family one last time because you don't know how long you've got left. You've got fourth-stage esophageal cancer. There's nothing else we can do. And so as as a last resort... He went to visit this particular church in, in Redding, California, where his son lived. And so he turned up to this, this church. He went to a healing rooms one morning where he got prayed for. He got prayed for by a 12-year-old boy who came and laid hands on this six-foot-four guy. And instantly, this 12-year-old boy began to pray for him. This guy got so impacted by the Holy Spirit that he fell on his back. And he lay on the floor for half an hour, shaking under the power of God. Well, anyway, to cut a long story short, this guy got off the floor, completely, completely delivered a four-stage esophageal cancer. I'm an absolute miracle. He went back, he went back to his hospital. He went back to his hospital where he was uh, being treated. He got, he got tested. He got signed off. He was so excited by what God had done. Obviously, he gave his life to Christ, but also he began to write pamphlets on what God had done in his life, and he began to hand them out in the hospital to the doctors and the consultants who'd been treating him. And uh, anyway, it's an incredible story of deliverance in his life. And in the course of listening to this story, he happened to mention that he just lost his job where he was. And uh, as he was sharing this story, you could just feel a palpable compassion in the room as he, as he happened to mention that he'd lost his job. Well, anyway, he finished telling his story. Someone then came up to the stage and prayed for him again. And again, he fell on his back under the power of the Holy Spirit. But then something remarkable happened. With no fanfare, with no invitation, with no instruction from the front, suddenly 
people began getting up from their seats, walking to the front and emptying their purses and their wallets on top of this guy. So that within a, the space of about two minutes, this guy literally had thousands and thousands of dollars piled on top of his stricken body on the floor. And it was just this most remarkable moment of spontaneous generosity towards a guy who just lost his job. And I tell you, those kind of moments are so countercultural that you sit up and think, what the heck is this? And those are moments of awe that actually set us apart from the world in which we live. That we are willing to empty our wallets on behalf of someone that we don't even know, but just because he's in need. That's radically countercultural. And Psalm 67 that you heard read earlier in those different languages says this, that God, our God, blesses us that the ends of the earth might fear him. What's that saying? It's saying that the blessing of God on us should be so palpable. There should be so, something so countercultural about the generosity that exists in our culture that the watching world looks on and says, what the heck is going on here? This is not normal. This is different. Why? What is it about your community that is different and God's blessing causes the nations to fear him? And so this issue of impacting the nations through radical generosity is a massive, massive deal. And I just want to talk about four areas in which radical generosity reveals God to the nations. And here's number one. Radical generosity reveals the father and his children to the nations. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, just simply notice this, that Jesus' instructions about not worrying about money are all in the context of God's fathering. Jesus is saying, you don't need to be anxious about your material provisions. Why? Because you have a heavenly father who cares for you. And there's something about when we seek first the kingdom in the issue of finances that it provides a canvas on which the Father gets revealed to us. It's an opportunity. In fact, Psalm 37, 21 says this, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. In other words, generosity is a family trait of those who are in the Father's family. The righteous give generously. And I would suggest to you that generosity is not primarily first an action, but it's an attitude. And it's an attitude that springs from you understanding your identity as a son or a daughter of a father who loves you. Generosity starts from an inner place of identity. Generosity is actually not primarily about material wealth. It's about an attitude of the heart. Some of the most generous people that I have met in my life have been materially very poor. But in their identity and their attitude have been incredibly lavish and generous. I remember when I used to live in Newcastle, we had a, a very large Iranian community. And many of these Iranians were asylum seekers who had no recourse to benefits. They had no recourse to health care. They, they had no source of income often. They, often they had no jobs. Often they had no homes. They were sleeping on one another's floors. They were literally just eating hand-to-mouth every day. But I tell you, if you walked into one of their homes where they lived, 
they, you would feast like a king. Because there was something about their understanding of who they now were in Christ, that I am a son, therefore I get to live generously. And they were materially very poor, but in their attitude were incredibly rich. And so humbling, isn't it? So humbling, actually, when you meet people who live with this attitude of generosity towards one another. And actually, generosity is a trait of royalty. When you understand who you are, I'm a king, I'm a priest, I'm a son, I have dignity, I have purpose, I'm clothed with robes of righteousness, I have a father who's perfect and good and loving all the time. When you live from that identity place, you cannot help but live a generous life. It's an issue of identity. And if you're in a place where you struggle to believe the father for provisions, I would suggest to you that you have an identity issue. And that's what Jesus is highlighting in this passage. He says, listen, don't worry about what's to come. Your father's going to look after you. Seek first his kingdom and all these other things will be given to you as well. And when we live with this fear of provision, what happens is that it disables you from being able to accurately represent the father to the world around you. Because it's very difficult to represent someone that you don't really trust. You just think in your workplace, just for a moment, those that you're wanting to represent the Father to, those that you're wanting to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus to, the, the face of Jesus to, actually the reality is it's very hard to accurately represent him if you don't really trust him with your own provisions. Because finance is ultimately an issue of identity. It was Augustine who said this, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. I love that. So the reality is sometimes we are, we are holding on to stuff out of fear, out of fear of lack, and, and our hands are often so full that the Father's saying, oh, I want to pour out blessing on your life, so just get radically committed to giving some of that stuff away so I can give you some more. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to provide for you. I've promised already I will. So live a lifestyle of generosity, give away, give away. And sometimes the most powerful revelations of our sonship don't come through a healing prayer session, they come through lavish generosity. Some of you, your breakthrough will not come through a healing prayer session. Your breakthrough will come through a radical lifestyle of giving your money away. Then you'll get a revelation of your sonship. Because the Father's promised to provide. It's who you now are. You don't need to be afraid. <laughs> you know, I remember some while ago when we had a gift day here at the church, um, we, uh, as we would usually do, we kind of prayed just as a family about what we wanted to give into the gift day, and we decided on a, on a certain amount. And uh, I remember kind of giving, giving our gift in, and, you know, it was just a moment of cheerful generosity and being excited that we'd obeyed God. And then I think within a week, our car died. You ever had those moments where you kind of, you give lavishly and then your washing machine breaks down, you know, or the dog needs to go to the vet or, you know, one of those kind of surprise moments in life. Well, it was a little bit like that. We gave generously and then the car broke down. We're like, oh, what are we going to do now? And I, I don't know if you have those kind of moments where you start to rationalize in your head, okay, how are we going to get ourselves out of this situation? 
You know, how can I marshal my resources to kind of make a way through here? We need a car. And, you know, I remember even going through that thought process of, okay, if we, if we stopped giving monthly to the church by standing order, which is what we do, we give every month by standing order, it just goes out of our bank account. I had this thought process of, if I stopped giving monthly by standing order, I would have enough money for a monthly payment for a new car. You ever thought that? Some of you have done that. But I was having that thought process. I could, if I stopped this, this is my way through. But then the spirit of stupid left me, and I came back to my senses, and I thought, no, 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 hang on. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, seek first his kingdom, and all these other things will be given to you as well. That's God's promise right there. Seek first his kingdom. Okay, Jesus, let's go and do that. Let's get back on track here. Father, I'm seeking first your kingdom. Well, within a week, someone came alongside me in the office one day. They took me to one side, and they said, God's spoken to me. He said he wants me to buy you a car. Within a week. Let me tell you, sometimes you've got a good father who's wanting to pour out blessings. Sometimes our hands are too full to receive what he's wanting to pour out. Get radically committed to giving away because it reveals him and it reveals who you are. That's the first way that generosity impacts the nations. Number two, this is good, I'm getting excited. Number two, radical generosity invites revival. It invites revival. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And one of the greatest reasons to give is that there is a spiritual connection in the heavenly realms between us sowing generously with our money and the invasion of heaven on this planet. There is a connection between the two. Somehow, materially, when we trust God with our material wealth and we give generously, there is a connection between sowing and reaping in the Spirit. Paul says, if you sow generously, you will reap generously. And when we sow with our money, we are inviting revival. Jesus said, be faithful with the little that you have, and the Father will give you more. And there's something about you and I deciding to sow generously with our money that partners with God's agenda to invade this planet. And I would suggest to you, you cannot have a heart for revival without also it touching your bank balance. If you want revival to come, actually, Scripture says, give of what you have and more will be given to you. If you want to impact the nations, sow with your finance. Again, remember listening to Bill Johnson talk about Reading when he first moved there to California. And Reading was known in California as Poverty Flats. That was its nickname in California. Now, California is a pretty wealthy place, but Reading was known as Poverty Flats. Okay, it was the place very, very high unemployment. It wasn't a, an economic boom town. Actually, the spiritual and the economic climate was very, very low. And so one of the things that he decided to do very early on was to create a culture of radical generosity. Now, when we visited that church, within a four-month period, they'd seen 200 deaf ears opened. That's the kind of culture they're living in. And when I was listening to Bill Johnson one day, he said, there have been two keys to revival coming to our city. The first key is an absolute um, unquestioning obedience to demonstrate the gospel with signs and wonders. That's been the first, first kind of key 
reason that revivals come to our city is that we demonstrate the kingdom wherever we go. He said the second reason that our town is in revival is that we give away our money generously. Those are the two keys, he said. Demonstrate signs and wonders and give generously. Isn't that fascinating? Key to revival. And so he said uh, when he first moved to the church 17 years ago, um, they kind of took this massive repentance offering where basically they repented of being stingy and they said, we're going to turn it around. We're going to live a lavish lifestyle. And so they began to take up money and give it away to other churches in the town. They thought, we're just, what can we do to bless our city? Well, we're just going to give money away to other churches. And so they began to pay staff salaries in other churches and ministries in their city. They began to support a Native American tribe to honor them as the original landowners in the city. And they basically moved from just obedience with money into radical generosity with money. And this kind of began a domino effect in their town. So as they began to bless other churches, those churches began to bless other churches. And those churches began to bless other churches. And and so it began. And generosity is a key to revival. You might be interested, just this last year, some of the nations that we've sown generously into. Here's a little list. This year as a church, we've sown into Mozambique, into Ireland, into Bosnia, into Zimbabwe, into the Ukraine, into Iraq, into Iran, into China, into Mexico, and into North Africa. And over this last year, it's been a privilege to give away over 27,000 pounds worth of money as a church community. And the reality is you and I may never actually go to any one of those nations. Some of you may. But here's the thing, something of what I've been able to sow in this year has touching believers in Iraq. Something of what I'm sowing in is touching believers in Mozambique. It's touching believers in the Ukraine who right now are being killed for their faith. Something of my generosity and my sowing is reaping revival in other nations. Do you know that right now in Iran, there is the fastest growing revival on this planet right now in Iran, which is a closed Muslim nation. There is something about you sowing into that that invites revival into another culture. I heard this incredible story the other day from someone who's working into a closed Muslim nation, and uh, they were talking about these two friends, one of whom had recently given his life to Jesus. He was a a conservative Muslim believer, but he converted radically to come to know Jesus. And one day, he was having a, a theological discussion with one of his Muslim friends. And basically, this Muslim friend tore this young Christian to shreds with his argument, and he won the argument. And he went away, and that night he had a dream. In the dream, Jesus appeared to him and said, you may have won the argument, but you were completely wrong. (laughs) Now, this guy has the same dream where Jesus appears to him and says the same thing five nights in a row. You may have won the argument, but you're wrong. What happens? Well, this guy goes and finds his newly Christian friend and says, what must I do to be saved? And he gives his life to Christ, and his whole family gives his life to Christ. This is in a closed Muslim nation. Listen, your generosity invites revival. So let's get with God's agenda. Let's sow where he is working. You know, loaves and fish don't multiply until you put them in the hands of Jesus. Where is your money? Is it in the hands of Jesus? Can I encourage you, give generously to this church. You know, one of our callings as a church leadership is to steward wisely the money that we give collectively as a family. And one of the ways that we want to do that is by sowing it into the nations. 
Can I encourage you to join us on that adventure? If you've not signed up that giving challenge card, let me challenge you. Try it for three months. Give generously for three months. If you've never given anything, give something. Try it for three months. See what happens because you're inviting revival. Thirdly, radical generosity releases honor. Third reason why we give generously is that it expresses the honor of God towards people. And if you think about kings and dignitaries and rulers who, when they meet from different countries, they exchange gifts. They are not exchanging gifts because they are materially poor. They are exchanging gifts to express honor. And one of the ways that we express honor to people is through radical generosity with our money. Recently, I was uh, unable to fulfill a speaking commitment in a church at a conference, and uh, I was just unable to go. Well, a few weeks later, I had an email from the pastor of that particular church, and I'll read you what it says. He said, I'd intended to email today as we wanted to honor you both for your love for us as a church, your willingness to serve us, and for your encouragement, friendship, and support to us as a church family. I love it that honor has nothing to do with performance or even attendance. And so I just want to honor, love, and bless you and Carol with a financial gift from me, which will arrive in your bank account sometime today with our love. You and Carol are awesome. You are such a gift to the church. I tell you, generosity expresses honor. Generosity has nothing to do with your performance, your attendance, but actually who you are. One of the ways that you get to honor one another is through financial generosity. It speaks powerfully. I heard of uh, one couple in the church recently who'd been praying and helping another lady in the church who'd been walking through some really difficult personal circumstances. And one of the things just in conversation that she'd said she needed to this couple was a, a, a laptop, a computer for her kids to do homework on. And she just was completely broke, didn't know what she was gonna do. Well, this couple went out that very morning. They went to PC World. They bought her a brand new computer. They took it around the next day and said, we just want to give you this as a sign of Christ's honor for you. And you know, so often in those moments, generosity is not about money. It's not about the thing, but it's about what it communicates. It communicates the heart of God, that you are worth something. You are important. You're unique. You're special. Generosity does that. Another one of our families in the church wrote out an act of courage card, and it was uh, the 30th anniversary of this particular person coming to Christ. And so to celebrate, he took his whole family out for dinner in a Bedford restaurant. And he said just as they were sitting there at the table, he was suddenly struck by the incredible generosity of God towards him over the 30 years that he'd been a Christian. As he looked at his wife, as he looked at his kids, it was just suddenly he was filled with a sense of thankfulness. And he's like, I've got to give some of this away. God's been so generous to me. How can I give this away to someone else? And so he decided that he wanted to give a large tip to the waitress that evening. And so he decided that he wanted to give her a 30-pound tip, one pound for every year that he'd been a Christian. And so he, he, he wrote this. He said, our waitress had been great, so I decided to be generous to her but I wanted her to know why. I decided to write her a brief letter explaining that today I was celebrating that 30 years ago I decided to let Jesus love me and that every day since he's been generous with that love and so I wanted to be generous to her. We tipped her 30 pounds 
one pound for every year. As she, took, as she looked at the tip and read the letter, she just kept saying she wanted to cry and thank you, thank you, thank you over and over again. Her emotions and words were exactly what I had experienced from Jesus 30 years ago. Being courageous tonight as a family allowed someone else to know generosity and the reason behind it. And we had loads of fun too. Let me tell you, the backbone of apostolic Christianity is a generosity that releases and communicates honor to other people. (laughs) What are you doing with your pounds and pence? Are you using it to honor other people? Because you can. And then lastly, radical generosity multiplies generosity. Proverbs 11, 24 says this, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. There's some wisdom right there from the writer to the Proverbs. And again, this concept that actually as we commit to a lifestyle of radical generosity, it increases our ability to be generous because actually you can never outgive God. As soon as you give, God gives more. That's the way it works. That's who he is. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 says this, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Let me just read that to you again. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Randy Alcorn says this, the more you give, the more comes back to you because God is the greatest giver in the universe and he won't let you outgive him. I love that. There's a competitive streak in God. He will not let you outgive him. Go ahead and try, see what happens. Go ahead and try, see what happens. You cannot outgive God. You live a lifestyle of generosity, I tell you, it just invites God's generosity all the more. He makes you rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. It's this cycle of increasing generosity. A man called R.G. Latournois was a, a man who understood this principle, and he uh, was the inventor of earth-moving machines, and he made a, a ton of money. He was a multimillionaire. Uh, but by the end of his life, he was giving away 90% of his income and living off 10%. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't that be a dream for you? I wonder if that's on your dream list. I know we're into doing dreams list. Is that on your dreams list to give 90% of your income away by the end of your life? What a great dream to have. I hope your dreams aren't all about you. It's great to have dreams about other people, isn't it? But to give away 90% of your income. And so by the end of his life, he was literally he's giving 90% of his money away. And this is what he said. He said, I shovel the money out and God shovels it back to me, but God has a bigger shovel. I love that. God has a bigger shovel. <laughs> and guys, I'm, I'm seriously convinced for the us as a church right now, this is a key issue for us as a church family. If we want to know exponential increase, we have to live a lifestyle of radical generosity. And many of you already are. Many of you are in this place already where you are living radically generous. I want to thank you. Thank you for leading the way. Thank you for living lives of examples for us. But for others of us, actually, this is a moment in God to say, I want the generosity of God to increase to us as a family and to the town and to the nations in our town. So I'm going to give away. I'm going to give generously. And actually, the whole principle of reaping a harvest is built on sowing what you have 
to reap what you do not yet have. So you think about what we do not yet have as a church. Think about the nations who are not yet represented in this room. Think about the the thousands of souls who right now are doing their shopping, unaware that there's a father who loves them. Think of the things that we do not yet have. Let me tell you the key to having a harvest in the things that you do not yet have. Sow what you already have. That's the principle of harvest. Farmers sow the seed that they have in one season so that they can reap it in the next season. And famine is always the result of misused wealth. If you misuse your wealth in this season, you will not have anything to reap in the next. One of the keys for us as a church is to sow what we already have now so that we can reap what we do not yet have. So turn your dream machines on, okay? The things that you love to see God do and then get to work and live a lifestyle of generosity. Give yourself away, give your time away, give your money away, give your energy away, give your talents away. Give it away. God has a bigger shovel. It's all going to come back to you tenfold, a hundredfold. Guys, you've got nothing to lose from a lifestyle of radical generosity. The righteous give generously. That's who you are.